Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Channel Talks. Uh, the, for those who are new, what we do here is deconstruct and then uh, reassemble ideas and strategies to execute on the multi-trillion dollar opportunity that is called customer retention, uh, uh, customer success, and also customer experience initiatives. Uh, it, we get very practical, so from this, you'll be able to walk away with not just ideas, but strategy and also executable and being able to actually touch an execution strategy and know what to do in relation to customer experience. Well, it's been a while and a lot of uh, you have come back and said, you know, why has it been a while? You know, it's been several months since our last channel talks. Uh, frankly, um, after the success of the first bunch, uh, I've kind of walked out of the interviewer chair and been interviewed a lot. So that's been thrilling, that's been exciting, but I'm more excited to get back into the interview, inter interviewer chair also, because we focus on bringing you industry rock stars, we filter out and filter out and make sure that what you get is real practical value. And in that, we've had some collateral advantage, I will call it, which is basically we've been drinking from the fire hose. And, you know, with a small number of people uh, that are growing rapidly uh, in our organisation, um, it's, it's been thrilling. And I thank you all for that. And I thank you for the attention. And I thank you for participating with us and also working with us. Uh, but today is going to be no different because today, probably my most exciting interview today, because what I have is uh, what I would call the two, the two godfathers of the customer success movement who have uh, created a category and executed on that category. I was going to bring my best fedora hat and my wife said, don't do it. You look stupid. But so we'll stay away from the godfather and stay away from the movement and start jumping into the category creation. Uh, of course, I'm Nick Verikios, um, who I have today. Uh, Nick Mader, the CEO of Gainsight, and Scott Frew, the CEO and founder of uh, iasset.com. True category creators and also leaders because they do have businesses and products. Usually what we do is focus on the analyst and then the uh, executor. But today I have two, two executors. And what I will say is executors on theories and theses that they created themselves and and entered into a market and have had incredible success. So gents, very quickly, please introduce yourselves, your backgrounds, and also the elevator picture on what your organizations do. Maybe you first, Nick. Sure, thanks Scott, thanks Nick. It's great to be here, uh, really, really excited. So I'm the CEO of Gainsight, and I'll give you a little personal background of sort of how I got to do what I do at Gainsight. So I, I worked have worked in technology my whole career. I, um, I started out in uh, enterprise kind of on-premise technology. I was at a company called Veritas that some people probably knew, which made backup software. And then we were bought by Symantec. I was a general manager of a division at Veritas and Symantec. Had a great time in that old model of kind of, you know, selling products and, you know, moving on to the next customer, selling products, moving on to the next customer, you, know, you ship the software and your job was done. And then I, I got hired um, in 2008 to run my first cloud SaaS business. It was a company called Live Office, which was in the space of providing data archival for legal and compliance purposes. I ran that company. And I, what I learned was in that business, because our customers paid us month to month, or in some cases, year to year, I, once I was I sold the customer, my job hadn't stopped. I got to keep re-earning their business because they had a lot of power to potentially switch and go to different services. And so in my last company, we invested a lot, not just in the sales and product process, but actually making sure customers got value and they adopted and they, they were gonna stay with us. And that's what people, as most of you know, refer to as customer success. And so in 2013, after selling my last company, we launched Gainsight. And the idea behind Gainsight was 
as more and more businesses move to these business models where customers have power, we can't afford to just sell and walk away anymore. We have to have this ongoing relationship with the customer to drive them to adopt what they've bought, to get them to be big fans and to ideally get them to the business outcomes they're looking for so that they stay with us and they grow over time. And so Gainsight, our mission is to help businesses both the, the vendors building products, but also the channel helping to deliver solutions, help us all close the gap between the desired outcome a customer is looking for and the value they've actually received. And in that process, keep our customers longer, get them to spend more money and be bigger fans. Fantastic. Thank you, Nick. And Scotty? Uh, Scott Frew, Chief Executive of ISA.com. Uh, this is my fifth startup. I've sold them all successfully. Um, I've always been in channels. In fact, it'll be coming up to 40 years next year, which is a bit scary. Uh, so ISA.com was born out of uh, building a company called Distribution Central, which became one of the largest APAC distributors. And really, it took us from zero to three quarters of a billion dollars in effectively no time based on tracking all of the product life cycles of the channel. So hardware maintenance, large-scale software subscriptions, and cloud consumption. And what I realized in 2008 is we built something special, and the vendors were calling us, asking us to do it for them in our region. I said, well, why wouldn't we do that for you globally? So I pushed it out as its own entity. I sold Distribution Central to Arrow Electronics, which is one of our biggest customers, and uh, pursued the uh, ISV market, which is completely different to uh, channels, but, uh, and it's been exciting. But now we've got a, uh, an absolute rocket ship of a uh, platform. We're handi- handling med tech, IT. Uh, we're looking at pharmaceuticals at the moment because they have all sorts of problems with tracking product life cycles in a different context. Um, so we've been very successful and we've just signed one of the largest uh, IT manufacturers on the planet. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting that out the door and uh, impacting uh, positively a whole lot of the channel lives. So, hey, uh, Scott and Nick, um, you guys are category creators, of course, um, and the category is termed customer success. Um, and it's in terms of where it sits on the on the on the life cycle of of categories, it's still on the left side of the chasm. Uh, you know, getting into the, we're building our boats to move to move across. Um, and to me, that's always been almost almost. I, I, I want to use the word a nonsense because. Uh, it's a new thing. And uh, when I talk to people outside of the industry, they go, well, when was it not a thing? When was customer success not a thing? Um, right. We'll riff on that when we went at the I, end, if we can have some fun. I, but my question to you guys is, why now and not before? And Nick, you know, you're busted, go. <laughs> yeah. Well, funny, funny you say that, Nick. I was about to jump in because literally when, when I told my wife what we're going to do and launch the company and she doesn't work in tech, she was like, how was that not always the way people work? I was like, we're going to make sure that the stuff people bought is actually gets used and they get value from it. And she's like, wait, what? How did technology work before? And I think what happened was, what's really happened is, as you both know well, but I think most of the audience does too, is, is the changes in business models driven by the changes in technology have shifted the power and, and uh, to the customer, right? And what that's done is put the accountability on the vendor for making sure customers are getting value. In the old world, customer pays all generally most of their money up front in terms of buying hardware, buying software, et cetera. And so therefore the accountability for, did I install the software? Did I use it well? Did I get value? That's on the customer. 
That's on the IT manager. That's, that's on right. this, the GSI, the, the, the Accenture that they hired. It's not on the vendor. But in this new model where the customer is paying you as they go, you know, per, you know, per month, per year, in some cases based on actual consumption, you think of an Amazon or Microsoft, Azure, Google, the accountability for that outcome is now shifted to the vendor. And so the vendor, before the vendor, we could almost live in a little bit of bliss knowing, okay, somebody's going to take care of that. We don't need to worry about that. And now all of us as vendors and also channel, we have to learn how to do all that kind of overnight, which is uh, you know, why it's changing so much. Absolutely. Cody, what's your take? Oh, well, I think so exactly to Nick's point, um, this has been an ongoing issue for a long time, but where we come in is the vendors need to do that to the end users and, and US vendors in particular are okay because they're a local time zone effectively, they can do that. Right. But when you're talking globally and you've got a distribution level and a reseller or SP VAR level in front of you, that's fundamentally difficult to do because the VAR owns this business relationship with the customer they don't have any tools or, you know, they're lucky to have Excel running just to manage the quoting process and maybe an ERP out the back. So to Nick's point, where it all sort of comes together is vendor still gets that value out of, say, a gain site solution, but you've still got to drag this channel with you on that journey to make sure that not only the channel stays stuck to the vendor, but the end user stays, stays stuck to the vendor as well. I love that. And you know, Scott, just one thing to add on that, because I think what you guys do and what this we're talking about here is so important, so timely, is the early days of customer success, you know, the vendors did, you know, start doing it, you know, in some cases directly with customers mm -hmm. and so on. But the challenge is that, as you said, you can't reach all your customers that way. What about the your global customers outside your region? But also you typically you're only talking about your high touch, big customers that the vendor is dealing with directly. And so every big vendor we work with, you know, we work with, you know, VMware and Splunk and IBM and all these great big companies, their, their top thing every time I talk to them is how do we work with the channel to drive customer success? It's always the number one strategic thing we hear. Absolutely. Yeah. And my friend, Jay McBain uh, would answer that question that I, that I asked something like, yeah, well, data was messy, you know, tools are now available, available and it requires an e ecosystem which exists, which is kind of like what you both are talking about. So, you know, whether you guys have realised it or not, between the two of you, you kind of um, complement in terms of yeah. uh, a practical execution of uh, the, the, the vertical, which is a lot of what, um, what, what Gainsight do, and then uh, a lot of what iasset.com are doing is bringing in all that influencer community to be able to inform the data and make it look like something that's useful to those who are executing on it. So I, I, That's such a good point, Nick, because I think you're totally right. We, I didn't list the other part of it, which is you had the change in business model, you had the need for the channel to get involved, like Scott talked about, but it, it's also now possible. It wasn't possible before. When I was at Symantec years ago, even if I wanted to drive customer outcomes, there was no way to monitor what the customers were doing. There was no way no. to collaborate with the channel. Technology like IS that didn't exist, technology like Gainsight didn't exist. Frankly, the underlying technology didn't exist with all the cloud and all that. So you're totally right. The technology is here now too. So there you go, my friends. The answer is uh, Gainsight plus ISF.com is a complete customer success execution strategy. <laughs> Global domination. Go, go, go dominate. Go, go dominate. You heard it here first. But um, I'll be really excited to uh, after this call to get into that because uh, the influencer community is so important, which is where yeah. Jay, Jay was coming from. Um, let me move it a little bit more into uh, what, what you were talking about, Nick, before, which is uh, things are always getting validated by metrics, right? And you're both 
are mad on metrics. You both have different takes. Scott, you know, you've built proactive action-driven dashboards, you know, to deliver the LIP strategy, land, invest, protect, surrender, which yep. basically is uh, metrics that inform the data to be able to inform the execution so you can provide unsolicited proposals to the end customer to get more out of their IT spend, to actually yep. get proper ROIs. And Nick, you um, talk a lot about, and I love the whole uh, idea of the net dollar retention rates and yeah. NDR being really, really important. Um, can you guys uh, start? Can you guys talk a little bit more about what 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 they mean? And Nick, let's start with the uh, NDRs. Yeah, sure. So just for people that don't know, you know, just to give you some context, how did we all measure businesses before? Right? We we historically measured businesses in a very transactional way. You know, you have a, a new order, you ship that order. Maybe it's a product or service or whatever. You book some revenue on that order, and then you take another order, and then you have another order, and they just are just line items in your you know ERP system, right? But were those orders, you know, new customers? Were they existing customer adding on more? Was it a customer that left and another one that kind of made up for that? And most vendors really didn't think of their business that way. They thought of their business just as a kind of pile of orders, right? And that's kind of how manufacturing it. We all kind of work with that mindset. But what's happened in the, in the cloud and SaaS world is people adopted a new kind of second way of measuring the business. You still have your revenue and profit and all that. But you now have these metrics around you, what people refer to as your recurring revenue, your annual recurring revenue, your monthly recurring revenue. And that's looking at the customers and for each customer, how much are they spending? So kind of a customer-centric view. And when you get into that, that type of methodology, you start looking at different KPIs, key performance indicators. One of the biggest ones is the retention rate. So if I have a customer that at the beginning of the year is spending $100,000 with me, by the end of the year, are they spending $90,000 with me? Are they spending $110,000 with me? $120,000. And the term people use is net dollar retention. That's a very US-centric term. So net revenue retention a little bit more globally, right? What is that revenue retention for the existing clients? So key, key point here is I'm not including any new clients in this calculation. I'm looking at the portfolio of existing clients, say at the beginning of the year. At the end of the year, those same clients have they grown in collective spend? Have they shrunk, right? And there's so much information in there. Are your clients happy and growing with you? Are they leaving because they're unhappy? Are they dropping your products? That's this new metric people track. Yeah. Yeah, it's not dissimilar to the old uh, Wall Street same store sales, right? So Measuring the existing. Actually, that's yeah, a really yeah. good analogy, Scott. Totally yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So in our world, in our predictive analytics and dashboards, we're really trying to I guess, spoon feed the channel to make sure they've got everything in front of them to go and make sure that customer is either, you know, if it's a cloud consumption piece, make sure they're billed correctly or the next part of the subscription's been delivered or they're upgrading or cross-grading whatever they need to do. So ours is all about looking forward and trying to drive the channel to the next gate, if you like. Um, so we're down more at that uh, product level rather than the dollar level per se, but making sure everything's closed out that's of every opportunity inside inside that installed base. So it's not dissimilar. We're just coming at it at a product level. I love it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an awesome, awesome point. You're both, you're both are coming at it from different levels and coming yeah. in together, which is really exciting. So I'm gonna, I'm I mean, you know, I'm gonna try and put a lot of what you guys are talking together and look at the opposite side to it, which is why we're so early in the process. We kind of quickly, quickly moved into why you should be in the process. But um, you guys are the godfathers of, 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 of customer success. So you've got the battle scars to prove it. And I'm going to ask you a, bit, a little bit about the battle scars because I want you to give the, the audience your advice on 
uh, on, on how to get into this because, you know, there are a lot of vendors, distributors, service providers that we talk to that still aren't engaged. And I'm not talking about just IT. I'm talking about every, you know, everything because it's the IT and then it's also the what we call the operations technology or OT market because, you know, they're, they're technical because they're connected to the network, this sacred network. And um, keeping in mind when you answer just of what some of the research identifies as constraints being, number one, being bad data. Um, and in my mind, there's no such thing as bad data. It's just badly organised. Yeah. Um, zeros and one, shit, you know, that's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, can't get, it can't be bad. It's just, you know, collected for a different reason. Um, the second uh, problem is where uh, organisations think they can build these platforms that you guys have done themselves, which is a nonsense. Um, and we've proven that time and time again. And the third one, uh, third most popular is, you know, someone else should be doing this for me. Um, so, uh, Scott, if you want to take that one first and... Um, sure. If you want battle scars, my battle scars are generally CEOs saying, yes, we need to do this. Let's get it done. And then Middle Earth, which is IT or some other department going, no, 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 we can do that ourselves. I seriously had a, I've had an organisation that I've had a conversation with every two years. We have this problem. We need to fix it. OK, this is how we fix it. No, no, IT said they can build it. Well, we've been doing this for eight, dance for eight years. I mean, they're not going to do it. A lot of people are trying to use Excel, which is a great financial planning tool, but a terrible, terrible customer success tool. So the battle scars, are, I think, really are apathy in, in our world. And then the second part of that is, you know, I have a lot of people relying on distribution or the vendors to manage that process for me. Now, if you take one of the distributors who's running at a renewal rate, for example, of 47%, that means as a reseller, you're only ever going to be at 47% because that's all the data they've re really actually captured and are communicating to you. And if you put vendor, you know, data is a bit bad because they don't have the channel bit all sorted. They don't know who's actually got the product. When you connect all those dots together and actually give them the opportunities in front of them priced up in whatever language they want to take to the customer, your success rate goes through the roof. And I've taken one vendor from 22% to 94% over a period of 18 months just by connecting the dots and giving them the opportunities. Nick? That's amazing, Scott, by the way. Those, those metrics are just incredible. And, and what, what we've seen, I mean, Nick, it feels like you were in our meetings because all your, your, your things you brought up as the reasons for people not doing things are exactly what we see. And it's interesting. I'll, I'll play back a couple that you said and then maybe add one more. Uh, so one, you said bad data. And I totally, I love that. There's no bad data. It's just badly organized. It's just, it is data, right? It's a computer. A computer did it, right? They, yep. The data is in the computer. I, that one, I, I feel like um, it really is, it's turning into an excuse, honestly. Uh, the way I look at it is, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to have, you know, flying cars. We're going to be maybe on Mars. We're going to be, you know, uh, uh, curing diseases we can't even imagine. Are we still going to have issues with our CRM data? Are we still going to be saying, oh, you know, we can't do anything because of the <laughs> CRM fields are wrong? Like, there's no way you have to just be it's like, an excuse. it is a poor excuse. And it's this, honestly, it's not acceptable anymore. I, I frankly think of the last year, especially with all the digital transformation, people are realizing that they can't make that excuse. So that's yeah. number one. Number two, I think uh, Scott and Nick, you, you both said it well, this whole, you know, we can do this ourselves, we can build. And I think that's, that's in some ways, I think that's like, um, uh, when people don't think something's very important and it's just very tactical, they're like, oh, I'm just going to add a few fields into this other system. Or like you said, Scott, the spreadsheets. Yeah, I love my macros. <laughs> yeah, my macros. And it's just basically what you're saying is this isn't important to me. Mm. 
that's okay. That's, that's, that's yeah. what you're saying. What you're saying no, is customer success is not important to me, which is, by the way, that's a powerful statement to make. So be careful what you're saying. And then the third one I'd add in is um, I think there's definitely still this organizational mindset evolution. You guys are, you know, we're preaching to each other's choirs right now. We believe this new world. And I think there's still, although there's a lot of companies that have evolved to the new world of cloud and SaaS, they haven't evolved the way they run their organization to that. They, they're, they're using like a 1990s mindset in a 2020s business, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of people like that. And I think that's just a natural thing. You know, we get used to the way we do things. So they're running their organizations, whether it's a channel partner, whether it's a vendor, like we're in a world where customers don't have any power. And so therefore what happens is at the top, they don't prioritize this. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't make it important. There might be some person further down in, in Middle Earth, as you say, that's working on this, but at the senior levels, they're not really putting priority into it. And one of the real specific problems is the, the senior leadership sometimes will give the platitudes. They'll say, you know, customers are our most important asset, right? Something yeah. like that. But then they won't do anything about it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's that. It's easy to put that on your wall. What are you actually going to do about it? Yeah. So we can well, even with some of, yeah, yeah. Even with some of the private equity guys that are buying some of these channel companies, are going right. We're going through this massive digital transformation. Let's go. And a PE wants to get rid of it in a couple of years, so they can't wait for them to spend ten years building a platform that that's will actually digitally transform them. So. It's, it's crazy that the PE guys don't force the leadership into change rather than the leadership saying, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it ourselves. Well, one encouraging data point, Scott and Nick, is actually we are seeing more and more PE firms actually forcing the change. Because yeah. like you said, they have the incentive, right? If they can make this change happen in two or three years, they were going to get the financial benefit. Absolutely. And one of our fastest growing parts of our business is private equity-backed companies where yep. the PE sponsor is actually realizing this is a great way to create value. You know, they talk about value creation, creating value in the company. This yep. is one of the best levers to create value, the re renewal rate, you know? Absolutely. So it's not in the PE world, but VCs um, are starting to think about Absolutely. the tool set they enforce into, especially IT startups, because IT startups never think about renewals. I spent yeah. half my life talking to IT startups that are like, we're selling this product, it's going mad, but we haven't done anything about renewals. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane because, you know, we're, we're now no longer in the distribution world. We're in the, you know, SaaS world of customer success yeah. and customer retention. And, you know, we talk to a lot of vendors um, and uh, they measure their renewal rates and they say, you know, we're about 80 to 90%. Now, 80 to 90% is still a big fail relative to our experience of 95 plus, you know, when, when, when we were doing distribution. And we were doing advanced and emerging technologies as well. So I wow. think some of it would be set and forget. There was no... You know, up until, you know, the last major, you know, the last vendor we signed before we sold was HPE. And up until that, it was just advanced technologies, all right? So, you know, that's why we started to look at land. Yeah, okay, tick. And then people walk away. But it's the expand and the extends and the invests and all the, also the surrendering of the asset. And if you're, not, um, if you're not at the forefront of that and you're waiting for a vendor to give you that, then what value are you giving? Because, you know, ultimately the, the prime contractor, whoever that may be, um, is responsible for that customer and they have this notion that they own the customer. Well, they don't. The best thing you can do is rent a customer and That's everything's right. contentious. Right. And, when they don't, and, and when we talk to other distributors even and they say, oh, yeah, we're doing well, our renewal rates are 40%. That's, a, that's the biggest failing you could, you know, they do it, say it with a smile on their face. You've got to be kidding. You know, well, there was this <laughs> company that I, that I used to own with Scott that did not, 95 was a fail. 90, you know, that, that, that was a fail and it's because yeah, you're pushing the proposal to them and staying at the front of them because what they don't realize is even the renewal 
is contested. It's actually right. contested. And it's not only contested by the, for the prime contractor, it's contested at the vendor level too yeah. because we've got so much churn going on. And the biggest reason why we've got churn going on is because we're moving from on-premises to digital exactly. transformation that says everything's as a service and SaaS. So if you're not ahead of it, not in front of it, and you're not using tools like, you know, the iAsset and Gain, and I'm going to call it the iAsset and Gainsight conglomerate now because <laughs> no, one, no, no one should do this without the other. Um, just you guys have touched on some really brilliant points here that make me say that. I'm not just saying that, you know, to be cute. Um, but, you know, you're, you're now in a position where you have to provide essential value. So the question is, how do you fast track that when people are sitting back, and I love your, uh, your what, what you said, Nick, about it's an excuse. How do you how do you take that excuse away? But I want to share some research with you guys first. Yeah. All right, the, uh, and this is from TSIA, where they talk to anyone who has has an objective of customer success. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, that research said it wasn't you know everyone. So again, does my head in that everyone does it as an objective of customer success. But if you turn the narrative, and when we take that research and talk to people and turn that narrative into customer retention, oh, 100%, 100%, we all have, and what's the freaking difference? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, but, but they, they break it down like this. Um, for, of those who are interested in customer success and, and also the customer experience, 43% are interested in, 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 in adopting, which is basically around the renewal, the basic renewal and profit and, uh, and profit protection. Thirty-seven percent is around retention. <laughs> Why is it that hundred? Um, Nineteen percent is around expansion, which is you know growth on top of what you've already sold, which is what we tend to call customer success. And then one percent is the category of other, which is reference architectures and selling. You've sold something. You've you've sold the other. Now, while that that truth exists, you know, in terms of like let's let's turn the idea of it's a nonsense into here's some fact. All right. What's the fast track? What would what would you guys recommend is for anyone listening to this is the fast track in getting into customer success, customer retention, customer experience, whatever you want to call it, but retaining your revenue in the customer that you're working with. Nick, well, why don't we start with you? Sure. Yeah, I think probably three things that might make sense and kind of uh, one that's about sort of this, this, this strategy, one that's about people and one that's about kind of process and technology. So at the strategy level, I think You've got to look at your, if you're a leader of a channel organization, you're a leader of a vendor managing uh, channel relationships, you've got to look at the metrics you use to measure your progress and make sure those metrics are uh, updated for 2021. Are you looking at the old metrics and just the old bookings and, you know, what's our revenue and all that? Are you looking at the new metrics that kind of the SaaS cloud world looks at, like, like I talked about? That's very, because if you start looking at those metrics, then you're going to start changing your behavior overnight. Number two, and by the way, I think, I think you guys can help. It sounds like a lot in helping people improve those metrics. Number two, the second thing you can do is bring some people into your organization that have some of this knowledge, right? This, Absolutely. this success knowledge is not, it's not, it's not um, you know, brand new anymore. It's, it's cutting edge, but you know, people are starting to cross the chasm like Nick talked about. And so they're bringing some people in to organization at an individual contributor letter, at a leader level. I spent a lot of time actually helping people find executives for customer success. It's a very robust market right now, something to consider. And then number three is, I would say that one of the biggest risks people have is they get stuck at the platitude. What I mean by that is they get stuck at saying customer is number one. What are you gonna do in terms of your processes, your systems to make that a reality every day? Obviously that's, that is what I asked it and Gainsight do, but whether it's with us or anywhere else, it's really how are you gonna take this strategy and turn it into a change in behavior? Because if you don't do that, 
you're just going to be saying stuff about what we're talking about here and doing the exact same thing you've always done. Yeah. Honestly, waste your time. And we, we see that a lot. <laughs> we see a lot of, uh, <laughs> we're digitally them. transforming. And then in the back, you know, there's nothing going on. There's just a whole lot of guys running around madly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. But if I can, um, to me, the difference between customer retention and customer success and I'm going to go off the reservation here because I own a beef cattle farm as well, is like the difference between sustainability and regeneration. So if the earth today does sustainable everything, we are still in a world of hurt. Climate change is still going to happen. We're still polluting and changing the atmosphere. Regeneration is all about fixing that and bringing it back. So customer retention is, okay, I'm holding on to them. Customer success is I'm accelerating. So it's a defensive word to, okay. a, for, to a, an, an attack word. And that's the big difference, which not a lot of people get because we, we often, I don't know about you, Nick, but we often get pigeonholed just uh, in the renewals guys Renewal. or the, the yeah. back end operations guys, right? They don't see this as actually a strategic asset that they need to put at the forefront of the business. Now, the ones that have gone cloud already, you know, the early adopters like Adobe and guys like that, They've changed their entire business. They don't yeah. kind of have net new. They have. It's all about retention and success flying through that. Um, what our technology guys and our channel partners have to realize is if they want to survive, there's no greenfield sites. You're not going to sell new tech to anyone. It's all about swapping out competitor technology or competitor systems. How do you get through that and then accelerate up? I love that. You know, Scott, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, that analogy is, is awesome. And awesome. it really yeah. resonates yeah. because so many people... Uh, you know, tied to your climate change, change example, so many people approach this and they say, oh, re- we need to get more renewals, right? But yeah. the truth is the renewal is at the very end of the process. Frankly, the customers usually made up their decision already. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. migrated to a totally different technology and you're calling them to get the renewal, yeah. you know, 30 days till the renewal. It's like, okay, <laughs> like they're not even calling you back, right? We, we, we've all been there. And, yep. and the companies that are really doing this right are approaching it over the whole life cycle from the beginning, all the way through to the renewal so that the renewal is a non-event because yeah. you've driven the value and adoption. Absolutely. And, and I, Absolutely. I know, I'm sure many people listening know that like, as an example, you know, Cisco has this program now where they're trying to get their partners to take on a customer experience certification and actually start from the beginning and help yep. you're there. The, the channel partners help the end customer go through the adoption and onboarding the early part of the life cycle. And in, in, in Cisco's case, they actually got kind of for the advanced certification mandated that the channel partner actually buys technology like a gain side and an I asset to actually really make sure that that happens. And so yep. they're probably ahead of the curve for most, but I think that's where we're going to be seeing in the future is that the, the vendors and the channel are going to have to work together to make this a life cycle thing, not just a renewal thing. Absolutely. And we're already engaged in a number of Cisco resources, especially yeah. in North America and Europe to, yeah. to effectively deliver life cycle advantage so they can go and yeah. get their certs and maintain them. That's awesome. We, we are too. And that's, that's, it's a great yeah. example of where this is yeah. coming together. Which is yeah. interesting because the vendors are actually throwing their incentives now into, you know, custom success and custom yes. experience, not in, you know, did you sell this many boxes or that many boxes? That's because a, that's, that's almost a, like a given. Nick, you might enjoy this. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I started to throw a mantra out, which was, if at first you don't succeed, renew. It's the last, <laughs> it's the last, it's the last thing you do. It's the last thing you do. That's hilarious. 